uh, Mark chapter 2, we are starting a series today called, uh, called At the Table. And I heard, uh, <laughs> I heard Kristen say around the table, and I thought, that would have been better. Um, <laughs> but, but it's all good. It's all good. We, we, we really do have a saying and a heartbeat that we don't do church in rows. We do church around the table. Um, genius. Uh, but, but it does still work. It still works. Y'all lay off. Um, I mean, it's good shape, you know, like it's a good feeling. So um, design-wise, it's great. But we are starting a series today called At the Table, and for me, it's an incredibly important topic. It's one that if you've been around, uh, I, I, man, it just comes up in my language. It just comes up in um, what I do because I've just found that Jesus, if you read through the Bible and you read through the Gospels and you read through the Old Testament, the table was central to the mission. It was, it was paramount. It, it was not something you could uh, just move past. It was something that was so ingrained in the culture. And, and it's so important for us to understand the power of gathering around the table. Because it's one thing for all of us to get together in a row and look at the person preaching on stage. It's a whole nother thing to get people around the table so that people have to look each other in the eye and speak something. Because y'all all, like, y'all can say amen and mm-hmm and preach a preacher and all those things to me, but it doesn't really matter. It's when you have to sit across somebody and you actually have to say what you think. Because that's where growth happens. And the truth is, uh, how, how countercultural could we be to actually begin to get people around the table as opposed to separating people based upon the aisle, on which side of the aisle they sit on? What if we got people around the table? It's important to me that we have this conversation going. It's important to me as a church. In fact, one of our core values, this fancy thing, people, businesses, vision, mission, core values, it's just whatever. And uh, one of our core values, what it means is what we love. What we, the way we live our life, the way we behave is that we embrace the tension. Uh, I, I don't think it's something, I just find that we're, there's too many of us, and I would say Christians, too many of us Christians, that when it gets a little tense, we bail. I actually feel like the Lord really didn't set us up that way. Jesus built us in a way that we would be light in the darkness, tension, that where we would be salt in the earth, yeah, a little bit of tension, that we would be people who engage in the conversation rather than retreat from it because someone said something we weren't really sure we agreed with. Or, better yet, we're not even really sure how to answer I was sitting with uh, Mary and Matt Mullen. Uh, Mary and Matt work at Common Desk, which is where I work, and, and we were having a conversation, and, and we talked about this, the greatest answer you could ever give someone to win their respect. You want to know what it is? I don't know. It's amazing how you could disarm people, because most people are waiting for you to give this, inc- this answer that's full of whatever, and, and not really, tr- you don't really know you believe it, if you just simply go, you know, I'm not sure, I don't know, there's something that happens in that moment that changes the conversation, and so we want to be a church that embraces the tensions of life, embraces the gray areas, embraces those places, and sits across the table from people, and so our dinner parties aren't even really just to be for those who come to our church already, they're really for people who come to our church to hang out with people who don't come to our church. 
Because I don't want us to be so limited in our thinking to think that somehow everyone we will ever reach will somehow show up in a row on a Sunday morning. That somehow that 90-minute window on a Sunday, and our services are 90 minutes just in case you want to time it. But we, we, if you, like I don't want us to think that somehow 90 minutes is the fullness of our uh, capacity to reach people. That we actually have a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. Oh, and the rest of Sunday to go love people, serve people, and reach people. Okay, I should read the verse now because I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Mark, yeah, Mark chapter 2, reading verses 14 through 17. And it says this about Jesus. Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. That is not somewhere you want to be sitting. And this is kind of a story that you see happen on a couple different occasions. Uh, the wee little man Zacchaeus it happened at. Uh, another, uh, another man, now I'm forgetting his name. Uh, this happened a couple times where Jesus would be walking by the tax office, and then he would invite people along. And he said to him, follow me. Now, some of us think that that just means get in line. <laughs> Jesus is actually saying the same thing to this tax collector as he said to the fishermen he was calling to be disciples, which is basically, follow me. Surrender your life to me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Walk with me and take on this life. It's a pretty big ask. And he says, follow me. So, so Levi got up and followed him. That's interesting. Verse 15, while he was reclining at the table, everybody say table. Oh, hey, there's, it's in the Bible, at the table. <laughs> in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples. Now, I want you to be really understand. This does not mean that he showed up at a house and there were a bunch of sinners there. It means that Jesus brought some disciples and brought some sinners and got them around the table. Like, y'all know that those can be the same thing. Just throwing that out there. And y'all know that Jesus did not just have disciples, but he also had sinners and they were all following Jesus. They all wanted to see what Jesus was up to. And then Jesus got them around the table at somebody else's house. I love this. Jesus invited himself over to Levi's house. It's almost like, Levi, follow me. And about 10 steps in, he goes, hey, where's your house? We got people to feed. I guess messed up. Hey, John, you want to hang out? Yeah, 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 yeah. What are we going to do? We're going to your house. And I got 30 people with me. Let's go to Wings. Wingstop. What? <laughs> Anyways, so, so, so he brings these people, and, and they get around the table, and they begin to hang out. And, and, and then all of a sudden, this is the, they always do this. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples. I think this is interesting. Um, they saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, uh, so they talked to the disciples. See, when we're religious, we only want to talk to people who we think might say what we want them to say. We won't talk to the, why, would, why wouldn't you go to the sinners and tax collectors and go, why are you here? Maybe that's a little awkward. Why, why, why are you following this man, Jesus? I feel like you'd get a better answer from them. And so he says, hey, they, they asked the disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? And I always love that tax collectors are their own category of sinner. I think that's amazing. Sinners and tax collectors, like somehow that doesn't. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor. 
but the sick do need one. And I didn't come to heal the healthy. I came to heal the unhealthy. I came to bring righteousness to those who couldn't do it by themselves. Which just, again, just a hint in case you start getting a little self-righteous today. You are one of those people. We are one of those people. That we could fit in the disciple camp and we could fit in the sinner camp. And that's the, the amazing thing about the grace and goodness of Jesus is that I could mess up today and I could still have the label of a follower of Jesus that I'm still a child of God. And so he's, I like, you guys are into it today. That's awesome. <laughs> he's sitting at the table with these people and, 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 and you got to understand, this is, this is so much of how Jesus worked. This is his method. See, see, he would on numerous occasions, in fact, you go through Jesus' life, just go through the Gospels. The, the, some commentators on the Gospel of Luke would say that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to, already at, or leaving a meal. The whole Gospel of Luke is him going to a meal, already being at one, or on his way away from one, probably on his way to another one. How many of you want to follow Jesus now? Right? I mean, we might already be. We do live in Texas after all. When Sam gets here, I'm going to go, what do you want to do? We got this place to eat and this place to eat. And then we're going to eat and this is what I'm going to say. You want to go get some dessert? <laughs> and after that, you want some coffee? And by then it'll be time for another meal. You know, that's how you lay it out. You might already be a disciple and you didn't even know it. <laughs> but this is how Jesus worked. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. Jesus cured the doubts of Thomas at a table. Jesus dined with the one who was going to betray him at the table. He had a, a prostitute wash his feet with perfume at the table while all the religious people watched. And he was like, this is what servanthood looks like. This is what worship looks like. I mean, the amount of times you see Jesus at the table should give us some idea of what we should be doing as believers, as people. We should be at the table. In fact, Luke says it a couple different ways. Luke says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Interesting thing is that just a few chapters later, it also says that Jesus came eating and drinking. The only two times it says it in Luke Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came eating and drinking, almost as though one was his mission and the other was his method. That I came to seek and save people, and you know where I'm going to do it? At a meal. Looking into their eyes. Having a conversation. Jesus didn't disciple people with sermons. He discipled people with conversations. He discipled people sitting and talking around a meal and having a conversation about their life, about what he believed about them, about what he believed about himself, about the kingdom that he was ushering in. He had this incredible ability to make sure that conversation kept flowing and kept going. And, and it's so important for us as people, as a church, to make sure that we are generating conversation. In fact, that same conversation I had with Matt uh, and Mary at Common Desk, we, we were talking, and Matt looked at me, and he goes, why don't more Christians have conversations like this? Because we were talking about some fairly heavy things. I won't say it, but the only two people that cried at the table were me and Matt. Mary was like, seriously, guys? And, um, <laughs> but we had this conversation, and somehow I always end up taking things there. 
But we, we got, and he goes, why don't we have more conversations like this? And I think the truth is sometimes, one, it's maybe not front of mind for us. I think maybe the other part is we're not sure what we would say. We're not really sure how we would handle it. We're not sure if some scribes from some Pharisees showed up and go, why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? We're not sure what we would say. Well, I hope I'm giving you some answers today that you can simply say, this is what Jesus did. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to get around the table. I'm going to be at the table with people because it is where I'm going to see the most change in a post-Christian world. And let me just explain that. Many of us hear post-Christian, and it just means after Christian. That's not what post-Christian, if you really look at post-Christian, what you're really talking about is a, and, and really this is, this is just culture in general at the moment, we are a deconstructing culture. We right now are in a place where we are deconstructing much of what has been built up over the last hundred, several hundred years. Uh, in every industry, we are deconstructing. We, we are deconstructing around certain relationships. We're deconstructing around certain points of view. We are, we are deconstructing. Even church is being a bit deconstructed and maybe even a bit opposed. And so when we say post-Christian, we're not necessarily saying that it just means it's an afterthought. It means that it might actually be forcefully opposed because of what, in some ways, in the right way, but not, not in most ways, uh, uh, has been uh, uh, done wrong or, or, or abused people or hurt people or whatever it is. And, and so we have to be people who understand that to invite people to church, while sometimes could work, maybe the first step is to do what Jesus did. Hey, do you want to come to my house and have a meal? In fact, let me, let me just challenge you real quickly. Are you ready? Everybody ready to be challenged? I'm going to put a couple extra weights on the barbell. Are you ready to let it drop to your chest? Is everybody ready? Okay. I can measure your witness by watching your meals. I can measure your witness by watching your meals. In other words, I can look back over the last six months and try to find out who you have sat and had a meal with to find out if you have fully committed yourself to being a witness for Jesus. And I don't necessarily mean that they have to be at your table, although your table is the best table because it shows something about yourself that you're willing to invite people into your home and you have to show hospitality and all those things. But who have you had coffee with? Who have you got grabbed for lunch from your workplace? Who on your street have you invited over to your home? And I know that challenges you. But again, remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The most robust faith you can have is a faith that is born out of the risk that you will take. And if you're not willing to take risk with the faith that you have, then you will see your faith begin to dwindle rather than increase. It is in the moments where you lean into something. I mean, just think Peter walking on water. I feel like after that, his faith was stronger. And he even sank. But I'll tell you what, he took four steps. I don't know how many steps he took. That's not, don't like test me on that. But, but he walked on water. It wasn't like he got to the other side and they all go, oh, you sank. No, he you just looks at him and goes, no, well, I walked for at least a little bit. And you may not have the perfect answers and the perfect things to say. And you may not get it all right every single time. But I want to tell you, the willingness to sit with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe or who has been through some stuff or has some edges or whatever, when you realize that I will get those people at my table, then I'm seeing heaven meet earth because I don't know if you noticed about the scripture he had the disciples show up and then he had the sinners show up and he put them around the table because that is what the gospel looks like 
The gospel looks like a bunch of people from different places on different journeys showing up at the same table around Jesus. It is when we begin to understand that everyone gets a seat at the table. I said this to um, the team uh, in pre-service prayer, and you are all welcome to be at pre-service prayer every Sunday at 1015. Come on, bring it. Uh, I said this to them. You Nobody agreed except for Scott. Um, I said, listen, I said, I, you know, it, people will not know that they are welcome in Jesus' family until Jesus' family starts to invite them in. It is on us to show people what it looks like to love people well. In fact, there's a word for it, and many of you have heard this word, and it's a word called hospitality. Anybody ever heard the word hospitality? Anybody? Okay, just want to, I was going to have to educate you or something. But this word hospitality, it's an interesting word because for many of us, we view hospitality as like someone who's really, really good, like Kristen, at setting a table and putting out the best stuff and making sure it looks great. And How many of you have ever been threatened by the word hospitality because you're like, I got paper plates, yo. Like, I, my, and I, my table's not even in yet. I was just talking to Nate, and he was like, I ain't got a dinner table yet, man. I can't have people over yet. I don't have a dinner table. And some of us are like... We, we just don't know about this word hospitality because we have this idea of what it looks like. It's all the best silverware and it's all the best things and it's pretty and it's gorgeous and it can be those things. But the word hospitality simply means this, the love of strangers. It is to welcome people in who have not been there yet and show up at your house. Now, just in case you, you, you think that that's just a nice word we're using and it's only relatable to our culture. I want to read just a few verses to you where hospitality is mentioned. Romans chapter 12, we'll throw it on the screen. Romans chapter 12 says this, share with the saints in their needs, pursue, pursue hospitality, the love of strangers. The next verse, Hebrews chapter 13 says this, don't neglect, other translations say forget, forget or refuse to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. In Timothy and in Titus, when they are talking about, and we don't have the verse for this, but in Timothy and Titus, when they are listing off the qualifications of elders and leaders in the church, you want to know what one of them is? Hospitality. The willingness to have people at your table is what qualifies you for leadership in the church. Isn't that interesting? And there's another verse out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, that says this. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Just, I just want you to understand this. Love covers sin. It doesn't, it doesn't condemn you. It covers it. It makes a way for you in the midst of your sin. Be hospitable to one another without, everybody say without, complaining. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, without, oh, I don't want to do it tonight. I don't want to have them, oh, you know, frustrated the whole time until they get there. Then you throw the smile on. Then you say, stay however long you want, but inside you want to kick them out as quickly as possible, right? There's this, this idea that above all, we, we, should, we should cover it. And here's the thing. If we don't get that first part, maintaining intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude not one, not two, not just three, a multitude of sins. 
There should be no sin that disqualifies somebody from sharing a meal. There is no mistake that makes someone unqualified to sit at your table and have a meal with you. In fact, in Jesus' view, it's that very thing that qualifies them to be at the table in the first place. It's that he has seen you and all of you and every part of you and all the things you do and has still welcomed you to the table. In Psalm 23, one of the most quoted chapters in the Bible says what? That he would prepare a table for me in front of my enemies. I mean, Jesus saw this table as a place for us to gather one another and to love one another and to not disqualify people because we are not about labeling people. We're not about, we are about making sure that when we call on Jesus, we're inviting people and they're brought to the table. I'm, I'm reading this book right now. I just started it. I'm sure it's going to come up a lot in this series and it's called The Gospel Has a House Key. Comes with a house key. You should get it. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's an incredible story uh, of a woman who, who uh, was an uh, atheist, uh, uh, living a homosexual lifestyle and, and, and was changed because she ranted against this men's event that was happening and the guy invited her to her house, his house. And said, let's have a meal. And they just kept having meals and kept having meals. And now she's married to a Protestant preacher. But um, I'm not saying that's the journey for everybody. I'm just saying hospitality is powerful. And whether or not that story ever happens, we should invite anyone and everyone who wants to come to the table to come to the table. And one of the, I want to read a quote from this book. And I want to just let it sit in your heart for a moment. Do you have that quote? They're in the radically ordinary, I love that phrase, radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. Neighbor, strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. And my prayer is the same prayer she says in the book. I'm praying that this series will help you and I let God use your home, your apartment, your dorm room, your front yard, your community gymnasium, your garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. See, some of us are worried about, man, you know, you hear Kristen go, if you want to host a dinner party, let us know. And you're going, I don't have a table, and the series is a table, and if I don't have a table, it's all going to fall apart. No, the, the idea is simply this, that you would get people around and look each other in the eye and begin to, and willing to carry each other's faults and willing to love each other through difficulty, willing to share a story because it is at the core of who we are as believers that anyone and everyone is welcome at our table so that we can talk so that we can have a conversation so that we can lift up Jesus in the middle of all the things we deal with so Jesus on every street and every heart our vision is not about more buildings it's about more tables do we want to have more places to gather as a church around the city absolutely 100% but the truth is what we really really want is a table on every street where every heart can be welcomed can be loved can be served, can be encouraged, can be invited in to a new family that believes in them, believes the best about them, and points them to Jesus, not their own perfection, not their own stuff, but to Jesus, and says he covers everything. And this hospitality thing is here because we want to cover a multitude of sins, because that's 
the gospel after all. And I don't know about you, but I found that a dinner table has become more of a, uh, a dumping ground, right? It's become a place where, where, where we just kind of decorate it really well. How many of you got that table in your house that's decorated really well? Ain't nobody sitting at it. In fact, if someone tries to sit out of you, like, back off. It looks great. You're going to mess it up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't sit it. I remember growing up, we had a table in the front room, and it looked gorgeous, and we never used it unless the whole family came over, and then you had to use it because it was the biggest table in the house. And some of us kind of limit ourselves by that thing, but, but the, the idea that the table has become a decoration or, or, or just a, a, a dumping ground for our stuff, some of you, your table is right on the, uh, on the end when you're walking in from your garage, right? And what do you do? You just throw everything on the table, and then you never go back to it, and you don't bring your family around the table. I want to challenge you. I want the table for you to become two things. I want it to become a destination I want it to become a place where you think about getting there because it means relationship. It means knowing somebody. It becomes something that's intentional. You are putting it on your calendar. You are scheduling it into your day. And I want it to become a disruption. I want it to disrupt the flow. How many of you lately have had a show on television? It's time for dinner. You make the dinner. You keep the show on television. You sit at the table all the while looking at the television finish your meal, leave the table, and you have made the table about eating, and you've not made the, let the table be what it really is about, and that's about knowing. It's about knowing somebody, not just eating with somebody. So many of us, in fact, so many stats would tell you that the table, if you get your family around the table on a regular basis, your children will be smarter, they will be healthier, because it disrupts the rhythms of life. It disrupts the busyness. If you would shut off the television, turn off the stuff, leave your phone on the counter and just sit around the table with your family, sit around the table with your neighbors, show up at a table, make it a, des a destination and allow it to be a disruption to all the other things that could show up in your life and sit around the table and love on one another and encourage one another and do life with one another, cover a multitude of sins together, point to Jesus together, share the gospel together, talk about how Jesus loves all of us the same even though we all come from different backgrounds because at the end of the day the gospel is about gathering people into a place where they are loved and accepted and known we do not want to have a church where we just simply eat together we don't want to be a church where we just get the the daily bread and then we walk out of here and we have the bread but we ain't got nobody to share it with we want to be a place that knows one another, encourages one another, because life happens at the table. Discipleship happens at the table. Growth happens at the table. And I want to just remind everyone here today that Jesus did invite you to the table. He did invite you to this place to be loved and encouraged, to be known all of you, every part of you, all the stuff, all the hurts, the pains, the offenses, the things that have just become normal to you, that shouldn't be normal. Jesus has invited you to the table, and he wants heaven to meet earth. 
when we bring a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places and we build it upon the cornerstone of Christ, surround it with some food, and we enjoy fellowship and we enjoy life because we realize that the gospel is living and active right now in this place where we're sharing a meal together. See, I can sit in a row and still be offended at the person on the other end. I could sit in a row and, and still be mad about the person three seats down or two rows up. Or I could sit in a row and be stewing about a bunch of different things, but it's interesting, when I get around the table with somebody, I'm confronted with the idea that I either have to, dis- I have to decide to forgive or decide to hate, and i got to move on. The table is a place where forgiveness and acceptance happens. In fact, in Jewish culture, it would have been a, an incredible sign. Anybody ever not been invited to the table when you knew your friends got to go? Nobody wants to admit to that. Uh, there's something that happens when you get invited into something. Anybody ever been invited to the table that you just didn't think you were going to be allowed at? You thought everybody else was going to get to go, but you weren't going to get to go, and all of a sudden the invitation shows up in the mail, and you're like, oh, I get to be, okay, cool. There's something that happens in your spirit. That's what it should feel like for not just us, for everyone else, that when the gospel is extended to them, they don't go, oh, wait, I'm, no, that's not me. No, because the table is not a place where we try to add labels. It's a place where we try to get rid of them so that people can experience the good news of Jesus, the grace of God, where heaven can meet earth, where we can be people who know we are known and we are still loved. Let's be a church that does life at the table, that forgives at the table, that sees healing happen at the table, where laughter happens at the table, where acceptance and grace extended at the table, where we begin to see the gospel in action as people share a meal together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much. God, I thank you so much.